Futures trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with Everag are their own and do not reflect the views of Everag. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by Everag. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is May 31st, the last day in the month of May. July corn is trading down 11 at 583 even. July soybeans are trading down 11 and a quarter at 1285 even. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Dr. Allison Robertson, a professor with Iowa State University. Thanks for joining us today, Allison. Thank you for having me. Allison, can you start off by telling us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Iowa State University in your fields of study? So I've been at Iowa State since 2004, and I work on corn and soybean diseases, which should be no surprise if you're familiar with the crops grown in Iowa. I predominantly focus on diseases that are a problem at the moment. So we've done work on um, Goss's wilt and a little bit on bacterial leaf streak. We're doing a little bit at the moment on tar spot. And then another big area of interest in my lab is looking at cover crops and the yield drag that can sometimes occur with corn following a cover crop. So we've been doing a lot of work in that area And then fungicides. So I screen a lot of fungicides and look at timing and different products for managing foliar diseases on corn. So let's talk about some of those diseases that uh, Iowa farmers, and really it extends to a lot of the Corn Belt, have been struggling with recently. And one of them that's come on the radar in the last few years and had a pretty big impact potentially on yields has been tar spot. Yes. Tar spots kind of, you know, I'll call it newer in the in the realm of, of, of crop diseases. So where are we at with tar spot? Do we understand a little bit more about it? Have hybrids been developed that are a bit resistant? Do we have some fungicides that work? Where are we at with that one? Great question. So yeah, tar spot was first reported in Indiana and Illinois in 2015. And um, since then, it has been reported in more and more and more states across the Corn Belt and even down in the South, Florida, Georgia, and out on the East Coast, Pennsylvania. So the disease is spreading. In the past seven years, there has been a ton of research that's been done on TASPOD. And what I think I'm most proud of is that how all of us field crop pathologists really worked together to try and get an understanding of this disease and the best way to manage it. And so what I mean by that is that we all did similar trials in each of our states. And because of that, we managed to get disease data every year that contributed to our understanding of the disease. And that's particularly from a fungicide management point of view. So we have a much better idea of um, what fungicides to use and when to apply those fungicides to manage tar spot. You also mentioned hybrids. So yes, there's been a lot of work done on on breeding. And this is the first year that a lot of the um, seed companies have now in their seed catalogs have a rating for tar spot. So we're not out of the woods there. We don't have resistant varieties. 
we're probably never going to have resistant varieties. It's going to be kind of like gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight, southern rust, where we have varieties that are more tolerant to the disease. They still get the disease, but they don't get as much disease and it doesn't affect yield as much. And I suspect that that's where we're going to be with tar spot within the next few years. We'll have hybrids that are good for tar spot, but we're still going to need to keep an eye on those hybrids. They will still get disease. And there may be some years where we need to apply a fungicide on those hybrids, but not every year. Is it common for there to be new diseases that come into the corn crop? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, so, I mean, I've been, you know, this is my 20th summer, I think, I'm working on corn and soybeans. And I think in my experience is that we tend to see diseases reemerge, if you like. So, for example, when we had Goss's World back 2009 to 2011, it had been 25 years since we'd seen that disease in Iowa. And then all of a sudden we started seeing it again. And uh, if we think about diseases, we always think about the disease triangle. And any of my colleagues listening are going to laugh because I always bring up the disease triangle. But to get a disease right, you have to have the pathogen, you have to have the host, And you have to have the right environment. And so when I look at diseases that have reemerged and been a problem, Goss's World 2009, eye spots 2011, maybe I'm getting those two around the wrong way, Northern Corn Leaf Blight 2015, 2016. The main reason why we got these resurgences in the disease was because there were hybrids out there that were particularly susceptible to that disease. And they were very popular with farmers, which meant that they were planted on a large, on, you know, thousands of acres across the corn belt. And so we saw we got this increase in disease. But in the past 10 years, I mean, we've had bacterial leaf streak. That's been more of a problem in um, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado. I mean, that's a brand new disease. And then we've had tar spot come in, you know, which is a brand new disease for North America. So, yeah, I mean, we've had these new diseases come in, but we've also had diseases resurge. If I think about soybeans, you know, I'm thinking about frog eye leaf spot. That's becoming more of a more of a problem here in the Midwest. And I mean, I think that has, once again, a lot to do with varieties. Frog eye was never a problem. So we didn't have the resistance in those varieties. But now as we see the, the climate changing and we're getting these warmer warmer summers and more humid summers. That's the environment part of that triangle, right? Which is now contributing to increase frog eye. So yeah, I I tend to think in terms of triangles as I try to explain, you know, these things that are going on. So is it easy to look ahead at a year or a growing season and say, we believe with some degree of certainty that X disease is going to have a higher prevalence of of manifesting itself or is that something that's hard to do like looking forward and you have to look back on it and say okay now we can understand that all three of the pieces of the triangle if you will came together we had the host we had the pathogen we had the right environment or can you kind of look ahead and say we we know we've got two of the three pieces the forecast is such that we could have this or not? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, in my opinion, the pathogens are always there, right? They're surviving in the residue. So we have the pathogen, 
we always have the host, the corn or the soybean, but they can vary in their susceptibility to those diseases. So the biggest thing that's going to tell us whether disease is going to be a problem or not is the environment. And at the risk of offending some of our weather folk out there, you know, it's really hard to be able to predict what the weather's going to be like. And, you know, I've heard a lot of talk that we're, we're switching into an El Nino, right? And so El Nino means that it, we should have cooler and wetter summers. Well, at the moment, you know, May has been incredibly dry and pretty warm which is fine for this time of the growing season because we're just getting planted. Those crops are just emerging. But yeah, if El Nino does kick in and we start to get the moisture in July and August, that's a bad thing, right? Because now we're in grainful for both corn and soybeans and we're getting a lot of moisture and that's just what these diseases like. And then we can see more disease. And because it's coming in during grainful, it's going to impact grainful and yield a lot more than if we had those conditions now, right? While we're just emerging and starting to grow. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard because predicting disease relies so much on knowing what the environment's going to do. And it's hard to know what the environment's going to do. Absolutely. Yeah. We all know, and, and I think most meteorologists are even quick to admit, forecasting weather is very difficult. They can certainly take some educated Guesses. I want to. I want to call them guesses, but I, I feel like that's 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 an understatement of what they are. But um, you know, it's no different than markets, right? The yeah. Markets are unpredictable. Uh, weather is unpredictable. Yeah. But in that same vein, then are there any new threats on the horizon? I know you said it's not incredibly common for new diseases to be developing or to move into the U.S. from potentially other places. But are there any threats that you're watching, that you're monitoring, or that you're trying to make plans around keeping out of the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I yes, I would say yes. So one disease that we're keeping an eye on is curvularia leaf spot on corn. Curvularia is a big problem down in the South at the moment and um, of big concern to my colleagues down there. And so one of the things that we're working on is developing models to predict that curvularia leaf spot. And so I'm part of the National Predictive Modeling Tool Initiative, which is an initiative that's funded by Congress. And with that, what we're doing is we are um, developing tools to predict these different diseases. And so we have that initiative partly helped fund the Tar Spotter app that we now have to predict where the Tar Spot's going to be a problem. And this year, we'll be working on, on models for gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight. But one of the diseases that we have in mind for the future is curvularia um, leaf spot coming up from the south into the corn belt. And so this year, what we'll be doing is we'll be, we'll be um, collecting data to help us develop those models. So that would be one on corn. As I think about soybeans, red root rot is one that comes to me. That seems to be increasing in incidence. Up here, we're, we're hearing more and more reports of it. So, I mean, there are some diseases that, you know, just are kind of out there on the edge. We don't hear a, a lot about them, but we're keeping an eye on them and then trying to develop these tools, right, to be able to predict them better for farmers and then therefore manage them better. So on that, the developing of the tools and the predictability, trying to create maybe a little bit of a forecast 
so I'm curious, like, how do you go about that? Right. You just said like, it's tough to, to forecast, but yet you're creating tools and I get where you're going. Right. But I'm just curious. So what is some of the data that you put together that you do try to build into these tools to forecast where these diseases could have higher prevalence or could be popping up at? Great question. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I have to admit that I'm a little skeptical of models, but I work with some pathologists who really believe in them. And so I'm there to support them. But so the kind of data that we collect is we have standardized trials across the US all the way from Mississippi up to Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin. And so in these standardized trials, we're all doing very similar things. So we're looking at high residue, low residue, high resistance, low resistance, fungicide application, no fungicide application, planting date, no planting date. And so that gives us all different environments, right, to work with across the whole of the U.S. And then what we're doing is we're um, monitoring the populations of the pathogens in those fields with these spore traps that are collecting the spores. And then we also go out and collect disease data four or five times during the growing season. So that means now we have disease data, we have the pathogen data, um, we have these different environmental conditions, and we have the GPS location of those trials, right? And so that means we can download the weather variables that occurred during the growing season, and we can relate that to whether we got disease or we didn't get disease. And from that, my modeling friends can do some fancy math and come up with these models, right? And I think the thing about the models, what's important is that the models predict whether the environment has been conducive for disease, but those models don't tell you if you have disease in that field, right? So those models tell you, okay, this field has had conditions for the development of tar spot. Therefore, I need to go into this field and I need to scout and see whether I have tar spot developing. If I can find tar spot, then I know that the disease is there and I can then go in to manage it, right? But the tools are not to, to say, oh, this field has had a risk of tar spot. I'm just going to go and spray a fungicide. We still need to go in and do the ground truthing, right? So, along those lines, do you work directly with growers to kind of manage and mitigate issues as it relates to crop disease? Another good question. And so, yeah, I mean, some of my colleagues will go out to growers fields and work with them. From my cover crop research, I do a lot of work with growers and we'll do on-farm evaluations and stuff. But yeah, I mean, a lot of times when we're developing these models, we always welcome feedback from farmers and agronomists who are using the tools to say, you know, a good example would be with the white mold on soybeans tool, the um, spore caster. So we, we um, found out that in northwest Iowa, northeast Nebraska and South Dakota, it wasn't working so well up there. And that, and that feedback then helped Damon Smith at the University of Wisconsin then um, improve that model, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I would encourage anyone who's listening who uses these models, if they don't think they did a good job to let us know so that we can then improve on them, right? So look into it and try and understand what went wrong, why didn't it work in this area? So in in that line of 
plot, if you will, you know, the crop is planted. Obviously, a lot of these diseases come in later in the season. You'd mentioned that hotter, moister weather generally is most conducive to a lot of these diseases. Is there any advice you would give to producers now to be proactive before some of these diseases manifest? Obviously, we know we can't necessarily stop them from coming into our fields. Yeah. But do you have any advice for producers as they're starting to, to, to scout these fields a little bit more as we're starting to move through the growing season? So, yeah, I mean, if like a lot of producers have a t- thousands of acres, right? So they can't go and scout every acre. but and what you can do is target those fields that are planted to more susceptible hybrids. So that means going to your seed catalogs and just looking at that. The other thing is target fields where you have a lot of moisture sitting in them, because like I said, these diseases need moisture, right? And so if you have a low-lying field where the mist kind of sits and the humidity hangs out and those leaves are wet through 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, that's the perfect field, right, to go in and check for disease. Another resource that growers can use is the corn IPM pipe website, where you can see where tar spot and um, southern rust have been reported. So those are the two diseases that we really keep an eye on. I would just pay attention to Coffee Chat, stay up to date with your extension specialists. And then obviously, you know, the seed companies and the co-ops and stuff, they're also out in the fields. And so just pay attention to what other people are seeing, seeing around you as well. Awesome. Well, Allison, I certainly appreciate your time today and sharing your knowledge with us on crop diseases. Certainly, it's going to be something that comes to the forefront of all of our producers' minds as we work through the growing season. So as much knowledge as as we can have is certainly valuable. Where can listeners go to learn more about your work or just in general about managing some of the diseases that are out there? What are some of the resources you recommend? The resource that I always recommend is the Crop Protection Network. You can just Google Crop Protection Network or the website is Crop Protection Network, all, all one word, dot org. And that network that Extension Field Crops Specialists have established, where you can find information about corn, soybean, wheat, and alfalfa diseases and pests. There are podcasts, there are webinars, there are PDFs that you can download, there are tools to help you assess different diseases. So that's the resource that I always go to. And I always recommend if I'm working with farmers or in my extension work. So cropprotectionnetwork.org. Awesome. Thanks again so much for joining us today, Allison. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, feel free to hit the subscribe button, give us a like, or share us with a friend. Thanks to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's production.